so much. Ben, please feel free to grab a seat and get nice and comfy. The blankets are still there uh, if you'd like some as well in the bucket at the back. But hey, uh, a big welcome to you tonight. My name's Riley. I'm one of the, uh, the fellows that just rocks up here every Sunday. But we are. We're super excited to have you here uh, tonight and particularly on Origin Night as well. Thanks heaps, Locke. Uh, in fact, knowing that it's Origin Night and that this is a bit of a cold Sunday too, I thought we might do something a little bit different uh, this time around. We don't often start our message part of the night off like this, but I thought we'd just pray together. So let's just do that together. But God, uh, we just, we do, we give tonight uh, over to you, Lord, and, and uh, just in light of a fantastic Sunday as well, we thank you that we're able to gather here as a community. But God, we do, we just uh, lift up to you tonight our mighty Maroons. Uh, God, we thank you that you have gifted us with the next Billy Slater in Kalen Ponga. So God, uh, we just pray over Kalen Ponga's left foot tonight, God, and we also thank you for Kalen Ponga's right foot. God, we thank you that we are living and currently in one of the greatest states uh, in Australia, if possibly the world, Lord, that you have created. Uh, And we just pray tonight that we are humble in victory as we demolish the other state for yet another year. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All the people said it too good. Hey, well, a big welcome uh, to you tonight. And uh, like we said, oh my goodness, there's a chair there. How good. Um, we are. We're really excited to have you here tonight, and, and we're excited to have you here on Origin Night too. So we'll make sure we're going to be out of here well before seven o'clock, so you'll be able to get home, get set up, uh, and get ready uh, for all the hype. But Origin Nights are always fun, even when it's played on a Sunday night, which I just find bizarre. Even more bizarre that it's actually being played tonight. If you're not normally an Origin watcher, State of Origin watcher, it's being played in Perth, which is like literally on the other side of the world. Uh, all I know about Perth is like that's where they send the characters off home and away or neighbours if they don't kill them off in the series. The person just ends up travelling to Perth and they disappear forever. So that's all I know about Perth. Anyway, it should be a good night. Um, but if you love sport, if you love sport and you love your state of origin, you know there's been some great state of origin moments in the timeline of origin history. In fact, some players, even when it comes to their own player origin stories, there are some great rugby league legends Uh, that have made uh, amazing memories and big highlight plays in the state of origin. And I do always find it amusing when state of origin comes around, uh, when people begin to start these arguments. I work within a high school uh, context, so like at at school I hear the fellas all the time talking about who they think the greatest player of all time is, and we hear these conversations, like I'll throw some names out if you don't know, I'm all good, but we hear like Wally Lewis, Wally Lewis was the king, like he had an amazing career, like Wally Lewis is the greatest of all time, or, or Andrew Johns, Andrew Johns, he was the best halfback ever, no, it's Jonathan Thurston, like Jonathan Thurston had the best kicking game in history to ever be in the game, and then others are like, no, it's Darren Lockyer, like really good passer, really good hair, like... People have an absolute field day with this debate over who is the greatest. Sports persons and media have made a career out of it. The online forums, on social media and conversation, it could drabble on for days. You see, we hear this conversation across all sports fields of who the greatest is. And whilst people argue over who is the greatest, Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest boxers in history, Muhammad Ali called himself the greatest of all time. In fact, he called himself the goat. Now, I'm not talking about this type. Oh no. I'm not talking about this type of goat. This is different. This is just a very happy goat. Uh, what we're talking about here uh, is the goat, the G O A T, the greatest of all time. And you see, while some may argue in the sports world that the goat is, is Roger Federer, it's Michael Jordan, the goat is Serena Williams, it's, it's the story that came with Kathy Freeman. Others would say that the stats in sports aren't an accurate way to measure greatness. 
Some people would argue that the greatest of all time, the GOAT, uh, are the people who changed the course of history uh, through their actions and through courageous moments, that they led movements. The GOAT is, is Rosa Parks, is Martin Luther King. Or the GOAT is the pinnacle of innovation and creativity and the arts. Some would say that the GOAT is Steve Jobs or Da Vinci or DiCaprio. Personally, for me, I think the GOAT uh, is, is got to be the most diverse, multi-talented, adaptable actress of our generation. I think the GOAT has got to be Meryl Streep. If you've seen Mamma Mia 1 and Mamma Mia 2, oh, she is amazing. She is a triple threat. Uh, Meryl Streep is the GOAT to me. Try and change my mind. But we talk about the greatest of all time. We debate who the GOAT is in different industries, but so often what we've defined as greatness as the marks of success or simply fame, that when it comes to defining greatness, we all use a different framework. We all have a different approach. We all look at different stats and different measurements of achievement and success, that we all have our own opinion of who the greatest of all time is or what greatness looks like. The question I wrestle with question I wrestle with in the mix of this big conversation and debate is how do we even begin to define who the greatest of all time is? How do we define what greatness looks like? Now, my idea of, of greatness or my idea of a great life, I can say, looked vastly different uh, to what my idea of greatness looked like 10 years ago when I was 12. And to give you an idea of what I looked like <laughs> when I was 12. Now, you laugh, but this haircut was actually very much in. Uh, this was the cool cut. You kind of push it up at the back and then you just have like this fringe that just sits there doing its own thing. So anyway, I've come a long way if anyone wants to get a photo real quick and send it to my mum. Uh, but my idea of, of greatness when I was 12 was very different to my idea of greatness today and I'm sure for you as, you as you step into becoming an adult, which I'm still working on, but as you step more and more into adulthood, uh, your kind of values change along the way and 12-year-old me definitely had a definition of what greatness could look like, or more so what a great life could look like. So I wanted to give you an idea of my ideal road to greatness 10 years ago when I was 12. Because 10 years ago when I was 12, in my head, I knew what I wanted to be known for. I don't know if you have a set list of adjectives that, that you'd love people to know you for, because we all want to be known for something. But I knew what I wanted to be known for when I was 12. I wanted to be known as someone who was smart and someone who was intelligent. So naturally for me, coming out of school, I always knew that I'd end up going to uni. In fact, I wanted to go to the most prestigious uni in my head. I thought UQ was the only way, but I didn't just want to study anything. I wanted to study something that would uh, be smart, or more so just something that sounded smart, like a dual degree in psychology and photosynthesis, maybe. Like, that's kind of what I was going for. But for their greatness, for me, it took another step. You see, I loved my football, and I knew one day I wanted to end up in a World Cup with the legend himself, Timmy Cahill. That's greatness in my eyes. I wanted to be known as someone who was sporty, as athletic, but at the same time, I kind of like my arts, and I wanted to be known as a creative, but more so, I don't wear the denim jacket for nothing. Um, if anyone could be prayerful over anything in my life, I want to be in a boy band one day. Uh, I make no lie of this. Um, but that, this was on my mind, the, uh, the idea of a great path. And of course, if you end up in a boy band at some stage, you have to go into a singer, solo, songwriting career. So naturally, that was my next step. And then my idea of greatness kind of changed a little bit more. Uh, even when I was thinking 12, well, what other avenues could I possibly take to becoming great? And of course, long-term goals, you're thinking marriage and family. I don't know why I was thinking that at 12, but it's something uh, that's often within us and, and what that perfect kind of proposal would look like. For me, it's probably not happening in like Bora Bora. It's probably happening like out at Redcliffe Lagoon. Like that's what I was thinking <laughs> in my head when I was 12. But if you go back there now, like that place, there's contagious stuff in that water. Don't go in it. You'll glow at nighttime. Um, but 12-year-old me, like I wasn't, yeah, I probably had someone in mind as well. I did a um, zookeeper for a day at Australia Zoo. 
And I'll tell you what, when I was 12, I actually had a massive crush on Bindi Irwin. Um, so Bindi Irwin at Redcliffe Lagoon, that's where we're going. But of course, looking at next steps, I mean, once you do the proposal, you've got to find, you've got to find the house and all the... Oh, where did Bindi go? Hang on. She's back. We got her. Once you do that, you've got to buy the house, and of course, if you're getting a house, my idea of greatness was, well, we need something else in the house, so of course, I need to get a dog, <laughs> or I, maybe I need to get like 10 dogs. <laughs> I probably need to get 10 dogs, and maybe I also need like an axolotl as well. I really wanted an axolotl at that stage of my life, and I also thought being great meant being Spider-Man one day. So that's kind of my, my definition of, of greatness when I was 12, and, and just how distorted and all over the shop it really was. I had no clarity over what greatness could kind of look like. But like I was saying, we all want to be successful in life. And for me, when I was 12, this is what success looked like. We all want to be known for something. But some of us look for our own definition of greatness through things like achievement, through things like our career, through the idea of relationships or just being in a relationship, uh, through the possibility of what our future could look like. Some of us think of greatness through how much money we hope to have in the bank one day, how we hope to uh, look like or the status that we might have. Some of us push and try and achieve greatness through our own definition of things like success, achievement, fame, and status. For a lot of us, for a lot of us, we could say that maybe we don't actually want to be the greatest of all time, and that's fair. But we simply want to be known as a great friend. For some of us, we would say we don't want to be known as the greatest of all time, but we simply want to be known as, as someone who's a great friend, someone uh, who's a great boyfriend, a great girlfriend, someone who's a great husband or a great wife today or one day, a great teacher, a great mentor, a great role model, a great brother or sister, you name it. And when it comes, but when it comes to being great or having a great life, the tricky thing is, as we've been talking about, we really aren't great at defining greatness. Our world doesn't really have a clear definition of what greatness looks like. So what's our starting point? That's why we wanted to launch this series as Jim and Lockie were talking about. Tonight we're jumping into a brand new series called How to Be Great because in this series we're going to explore how being great is something that we can all do and that's actually easier than you think but to do that, to do that, like we said, we first need to define what it means to be great. How do I become great? Because crazy enough, this, this question, this debate of the greatest of all time, what greatness could, looks like, uh, could look like has been a conversation that's probably been going on for thousands and thousands of years now. And it will continue to be in our world for centuries to come until we give the word a clear definition. Because we all want to live a life of greatness. But how do we actually begin to define who or what greatness is? Well, to do that, to do that we need to look to someone who is known as great. And for those of you who have defined your experience with this whole concept of Christianity on your experiences with Christians, tonight I actually want to offer you a differing lens on this fella at the center of this movement that started over 2,000 years ago, and a differing lens on how Christians should actually live a life defined as a follower of Jesus. So to do that tonight, I want to bring you into kind of, it's kind of like a dramatic, kind of awkward, little bit funny, but also tense conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Because I believe what we actually get out of this conversation that did take 2,000 years ago is a definition of greatness that doesn't simply point to marks of success or point to marks of achievement or fame or status, that this is a definition you can even use if you're not a follower of Jesus. Because in being honest, we don't really have a great definition for greatness in the first place. So to do that, this conversation was actually recorded by a fella called Mark. 
Uh, and Mark was an eyewitness. Oh, he, sorry, he gathered up eyewitness accounts of, of Jesus' life and, and documented them. Uh, and you can find Mark's account in that second part of the Bible, the thing called the New Testament. And in this conversation that uh, Mark jots down, we see that the disciples were actually on a trek. The disciples were on a trek. They were traveling through a place called Galilee, which I just think sounds magical. Galilee. It sounds like the cool elvish village in like Lord of the Rings. Anyway, that's a me thing, not a Mark thing. But <laughs> whilst on their trek with Jesus, the disciples are kind of banded together and they're having this conversation. And you can kind of assume that this conversation could be taking place in murmurs and then getting louder and louder because the uh, what Mark tells us is that the disciples were actually having a conversation and debate over which one of them was the greatest. They were doing that classic blokey thing of trying to one-up each other. And you could just imagine kind of what the, uh, what the disciples might have been saying to each other, like walking around like, oh, no, no, I'm like the best in the group because uh, I handed out the most amount of bread when Jesus made the bread. I don't know why they're from New Zealand, so... I. <laughs> But you're thinking about like what they're saying and how they're talking to each other. Like, I was there when he made the blind man see. Like, I was part of it. I was part of a great moment. Therefore, I'm the greatest in the group. Like, I walked on uh, water with Jesus. Like, I'm Peter. And like, I was there in that moment. Who else has walked on water in the group? No one. That's what I thought. Like, Lucky. Oh, so much more freedom with the handheld too. I hope I don't get too silly. Um, in Jesus, the disciples had found someone that promised them more than they'd ever known. So they'd have, they've got this teacher, they've got this leader that they can actually compare greatness to because they're a part of something that they believe is pretty great. Uh, and the, the disciples, they would have conjured up a number of different ideas of greatness. Uh, like the conversation that we've kind of played out probably wasn't exactly the conversation that they had because they would have had their own idea of what greatness looked like or how they could compare themselves to greatness based on what they thought of this Jesus fellow, of this guy who told people that he was the son of God, this king who would bring justice and freedom to the world. Because in the context of their culture, in the context of the disciples' culture and Jewish teaching, the disciples would have been formulating and arguing over a definition of greatness that would have been just as unhelpful and as unclear as the definition that we find within our world today. And you see, the thing about Jesus is, the thing about Jesus within the group of the disciples was that he was their ticket to true greatness. And at this stage in their journey, if they were ever going to capitalize on the success and their fame, that this was their time to win, this was their time to reign, the conversation that they were having would have been pretty close to home for them as they were having it because the demands for Jesus were growing. His teachings and miracles were growing a bit of a crowd. What he was doing was countercultural and it was in, uh, and enticing and it was rebellious to the religious leaders of the time. The disciples were getting a bit of fame here. They were getting a fair amount of status by being close to Jesus. The disciples were probably feeling pretty popular at this point. But then what we get in Mark's account is that all of a sudden, all of a sudden the disciples have found out that with Jesus that they had their chance to be known. They had their chance to be seen as successful. They had their chance to be respected. They had their chance to be obeyed. And they were looking to capitalize on it. Which one of us is the greatest? They're on this hike talking to each other. So here we have Jesus' 12. 
his dirty dozen, who lived a life of being a tax collector and a fisherman at one stage, these guys who were simply unqualified, all of a sudden realising that we have a chance here. They were unqualified for any gig, any gig involved in spreading the message that would change the world. Here they were together arguing how great they were and who of them was the greatness. And maybe they were thinking if Jesus wasn't going to be around forever, like who out of them would slide in and take his place? But it's Jesus' response. This is the big thing. It's Jesus' response to their quarrels that gives us a new and ultimately fulfilling way of defining greatness. For followers of Jesus, this is how we go about defining greatness. Jesus addresses our tension. He, gave us a, he gives us a definition of greatness. And Jesus' definition of greatness is not what we think. So without building any more tension, I'll walk you through what that definition is. Because you see, after their hike, the disciples and Jesus uh, pull up a stop in a house. And Jesus is with uh, his disciples. He pulls them over and he asks them, what were you arguing about on the road? But the disciples, they, they didn't reply. They didn't answer. They kind of go quiet because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatness. The disciples have gone quiet. But then Jesus sat down. He sat down in the house and he called the disciples over to him. He gets in eye contact uh, with them and he sits down. He calls them over and he says, whoever wants to be first, this is what you need to know, guys, in light of the argument that you just had, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. See, Jesus lobs out this definition, this statement. Jesus doesn't get mad. He doesn't get frustrated at his disciples for speaking about greatness or striving for greatness. He doesn't say they shouldn't pursue it, but he does correct and he does realign them to a definition and an understanding of it. He says that your search for fame, your search for fame is what you do for yourself. When he's talking about first, your search for fame is what you do for yourself. And maybe for you, if that fame word sits a little bit funny with you in, in terms of just being kind of like this, this word that we're using, he's, what he's essentially saying is, is that your idea of status, your idea of achievement is what you do for yourself. But there's more to it, you see. Greatness is what you do for others. The bottom line is fame is what you do for yourself, but greatness is what you do for others. Fame is focused on you, your achievement, your perception, your expectations of yourself, the expectations you put on yourself uh, because of what you expect other people, uh, what you think other people expect of you. The status, the achievement is focused on you, but greatness is focused on others. And this is why Jesus' definition is redefining what we know of being great. See, we have the disciples getting fixed on their status all of a sudden, and then Jesus delivers this game changer for his followers. He says, for followers of Jesus, we should be leaning towards greatness. We have no reason not to. Following Jesus' definition of greatness will make you uh, better. It will make your life better. It will make the life of those around you better. And ultimately, this is a message coming from the Son of God. It would lead you to become more like your heavenly father. This definition that he's giving is a tremendous blessing to those who believe what he's saying and believes in him. But I can see that there might be some pushback because just to zone in of those of you who are church or, or for those who are followers of Jesus, I know for me, I know for me, it's easy for me to say like, yeah, like I get it, like putting others first, like I need to be at the back of the line, but like really like, all the time, like, what about me? Like, it isn't fair. Like, 
I've got a life and I've, I've, had, I've had my share. Like, like a servant all the time. Like a servant all the time. Like the Shannon Knoll song. Like that's kind of going through my head in the times when I feel a little bit fatigued. Well, not just a little bit fatigued. In the times when I'm feeling frustrated, it's really hard and really tricky for me in those times to put others first because I've got some needs that I need to have met too. What about me? And I know for followers of Jesus, there's probably a second pushback too because we hear this whole idea of calling, this whole idea of being on mission for the needs of others first, and we can put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves to make sure that we don't mess up what God has planned for us and what God has planned for those who we are influencing around us. It's really easy for us to take on our own definition of what it means to be a great Christian that will do God's great work, but we can't stand to deal with the thought that we could get it wrong that we could make an imperfect decision, that we don't live up to his standard. And it's a distorted thought, but at the same time, this pushback, this pushback is one that we, I understand, could, could all feel just as humans. Because it isn't just a thought that goes through Christians' minds. The thought that I could have been more successful, that I could have been more successful than I am right now, that I could have done better, I could have made more money, I could have saved better, I could have helped more, I could have been there for them, I could have done better, I could have been better... All these questions we point back within us can send us into a spiral. And for all of us, for all of us, when you measure greatness by achievement, you lose out every time. When you measure greatness by your idea of success, you lose out every time. You will shortchange yourself every time when playing the game of what if and comparison. So I don't know about you, but the people in my life, maybe the people in your life who you would consider great, Those people aren't focused on themselves. They are not me-centered. In fact, I bet they're probably far from it. They're givers, they're providers, they're loving nurturers, they are present and patient to speak because they are quick and attentive to listen. They're loving because they love the people around them well. Some of you might be thinking like, I don't know if I want to be great. Maybe for you, maybe for you, you just don't want people to think that you're striving for it because you've actually seen greatness in the lives of the people around you. See, what we see through what Jesus says and through who he is is that greatness may be sports icons. Greatness may be history's greatest influences or or innovative world changers, but greatness may also be the single mother who sacrifices every ounce of her energy to provide a roof for her children. That greatness could look like the courage shown by a school student who starts a conversation with the anxious student who hates going to school. That greatness could look like the work colleague who cooks a meal in the fridge for the person whose family is grieving over a lost loved one that week. That greatness could look like the friend who is always quick to listen to what troubles their friend is experienced at home within their own family life. You see, these are all steps towards greatness and marks of a great person, repeated humbly, and you are courageously stepping into greatness. You see, greatness could also be a teacher. Greatness could be a coach. Greatness could be a mentor, greatness could be a brother, a sister, it could be a mother, it could be a father, it could be a granddad, it could be a grandma. Because grandparents, are, they're just great. But you have the opportunity to be the great person, the great leader, the great colleague, the great mother, father, friend um, that you have by actually taking on this definition that Jesus offers when it comes to greatness. Well, for some of you, you could actually take the steps towards being the great person, leader, colleague, mother, other or friend that you wish you had maybe in your life when you try and think of great people or the great role models in your life that simply weren't great 
the people in your life that you think should have modelled love to you in a better way or should have modelled greatness to you in a better way, you can break that cycle by taking on and actually understanding your own definition of greatness. So I'm sure for those of you that have felt an absence of having a great mentor or role model in your life or some type of parental figure, you want to break that cycle, but you probably also understand best out of everyone that if you live your life with the wrong definition of greatness, you will look for it in all the wrong places. By understanding your definition of greatness, you have the opportunity to actually break the cycle of what is crippling for yourself, for others, and for those that you love most, and be great. But how do we do that? What's, what's the question? Well, we want to give you a launching pad for that. And like we said, tonight's really just a tee up for the next two Sundays of this series. But tonight, I want to give you a practical first step to kickstart us in prep for the next few weeks. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to adopt that definition that Jesus gives his followers, obviously. But for all of us to discover whether we lean more towards doing things for ourselves or for others, we do need to first ask ourselves this question. And the question I'm going to ask you, we package it as kind of like the application of our night. We call it a four Monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church of a Sunday within a building of a Sunday? It's not going to change you. It's not going to impact you for Monday. So tonight's for Monday comes in two parts, but I'll show you this first part. First, this is the first question you need to ask. What does greatness mean to me? What does greatness mean to me? You see, we need to ask this question because without knowing, we'll continue to live a life searching for greatness in our careers, in our finances, in the expectations of others, and within the expectation that we put on ourselves. I want to challenge you this week to ask yourself this question as a big tee up to where we're heading over the next couple of Sundays. What does greatness mean to me? And if you're thinking that might be a little bit of easy homework for you, if you reckon you can knock that off pretty quickly, or even it takes you a couple of times to jot down some thoughts, I do want to give you the second part of our Four Monday and the second question because it's a bit of a follow-up to the first. You see, the first is asking the question and answering it. The second is a reflection. The second question I want you to ask yourself is, does my life reflect what greatness means to me? And some of you, some of you might be like, "Well, well, who cares? When it comes to this definition, does my life reflect what greatness means to me? Like, what does it actually really matter if I even come up with a definition of greatness, like, greatness is whatever I want it to be anyway, so it's kind of fine by me. Like, we can and we should aspire to be great in some ways, but some of us can push back against it. But when people think about your life, when people think about your life in years to come, do you want people to talk about what job you had, just how much money you had, the things that you owned in life, or do you want people to talk about the person who you were? the person that influenced their family in the best way and their friends in the best way possible. Because if you are taking the Jesus model, if you are taking the Jesus model on, then greatness is all about serving others. For followers of Jesus, you can become great by asking this question, does my life reflect what greatness means to me? Do I tend to lean towards greatness or push away? When have I been me focused? When yesterday or today could I have showed more concern or acted more proactively instead of just being inactive? or just being reactive out of my own frustrated emotions. See, asking these two questions, it isn't an overcritical self-performance review, but more so an opportunity that you could take to lead a greater life for yourself, for others, and particularly the ones that you love, or to show people love who you know need to know that they are loved, because to be loved 
and love is one of the greatest feelings one can feel and one of the greatest choices one can make. Even when fatigued, in honesty, even in vulnerability, even in weakness, greatness humbles themselves out of real love. Greatness allows one to experience real love. You see, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus didn't write himself into history for the fame. He didn't write himself into history uh, for the status. This is a God, this is the creator of the universe who wrote himself into the story as a servant. See, Jesus didn't write himself into history for himself. He wrote himself in for you. For followers of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, true greatness shows up in the details of other people's life. If you aspire to be great, give yourself to the small, mundane, easily overlooked needs around you. Because there was a God that died that you might live. And that life, that life, your new, forgiven, grace-filled life was meant to be great. It was meant to be laid down in love for others. Ask yourself that question this week of how you go about defining greatness. And then does my life reflect what greatness means to me? And then we'd love to have you back for part two next week as we continue on this series of how to be great. But let's pray together. God, we do. We just thank you for those that you've placed in our life, Father, that have shown us what greatness looks like through being servants. That, Lord, we know those in our life that have actually loved us in such a way that we really have every reason to pour into those around us. So, God, we just think this week of who the people are in our lives that we can show greatness to, that we can be great for, because, God, whilst we could push back against this idea of being the greatest of all time, we do, and we search for it. We look to be some type of great friend, to others and those around us too. So God, we just pray as we step out into the rest of the week, in the times when we are tired, when we are restless, that we can take those steps towards courage, Lord, that we can break the cycle of knowing that there are some people in our life that simply haven't been great to us, that there's been absence of having people in our life who have poured into us. But we can take the steps just within this week by asking ourselves these two questions, but also putting into action the love that you showed into the world when you wrote yourself into history. You wrote yourself into history, not with swords in your hands to restart the whole story. God, you didn't write yourself into history just for the sake of glory. But God, you wrote yourself into history for relationship with us, in, with nails in your hand. To give us new life, to give us a brand new starting point. And we are thankful. God, we give all these things over to you in your name. Amen.